I love squirrel snap butter. I actually get this is, yeah, we're gonna go for it. I get butthole chafing. That's actually the chafing I get. <laughs> <laughs> we're here, we're doing it. Welcome back to the next episode of Trail Tips. And I said that so dramatically because trail tips are some of my favorite episodes and I Alyssa and I got together again because early season people are taking on new goals and new distances and with that comes awesome questions. So we got such a rad variety of things to talk about today. So we have, now that I am imposed with remembering them, my brain does not want to work for you. We have how to handle the mental changes from 50k to 50 mile and strategies for dealing with that. We talk about winter running, what to have in your vest for an ultra, and what shorts aren't going to chafe you. What other questions did we have? We talked about when you're getting into the sport and you're young and you want to stay healthy, obviously, and make it a lifelong sport. And Alyssa has the most advice and experience in that neck of the woods. And all the way to returning to running post-pregnancy. So we're all over the place. Oh, and we chat Backyard Ultras, like so many great things. So if you want to find more from us, the backlog of episodes that disappear from the internet because we've been around so long, those are going up on Patreon and all of that information is in the link in the Instagram. So I'll just give you one place to go. It's at Trail Running Women Pod and it's a new Instagram. So find us there, give us a follow and then you can suggest guests and see who's up next and all that good stuff. You can also find links to my website there where there's a pre-made 50k which was a big request because one-on-one coaching is not for everybody so we can do it that way if you want. So go check out details there. They're on my website or just write me a message. That's cool too. And I think that's it. I'm going to try and keep this intro short because we do chat for a while, but I appreciate all of your love so much. And if you want to support the show, the easiest thing that you can do is just leave us a five-star review. So huge thanks for that if you have time. And if you don't, if you just want to listen, that's fine too. So have a great, I was going to say morning because it's morning for me, but I forget you can listen to this whenever you want. So have a great run or drive or doing of the dishes or afternoon or whatever you're doing and continue to reach out and keep the community going. Okay. Thank you all. Cheers. All right. Welcome back to the first Trail Tips episode of 2024. We have some amazing questions and I was noticing that like obviously it's the beginning of the year so everybody has new goals that they're trading for, which turn out with new questions. So we have so many great ones and I'm stoked that you're here to join me. And I do need to ask you a couple of personal questions, but we'll keep it quick so we can get to all of our awesome listener questions. So welcome back to the show, Alyssa. Thanks for having me. It's always a great time to be here, ring in the new year, and I'm stoked on these questions. Yeah. So, I mean, before we get into it, What I want to chat with you about, which was so cool, and I kind of talked about on my solo thing a little bit, is you, last time you were on the show, were thinking you would do Thailand, and we kind of chatted a bit about it, and it felt like you just weren't sure, like your intuition almost was like, I don't think this is the right race for me, and then you ended up running the perimeter of Hawaii, which is way cooler, and getting an FKT, Uh, so that is just such a cool example of how everything just works out how it's supposed to. Yeah, you know, there was something that I just wasn't stoked on the training. I know we talked about it kind of offline and you were like, yeah, this is not a good idea. And I really respect your opinion. Um, I had a couple other people be like, you are not psyched on this. You should not do that. It turned out that the race was very tough. They had to change the course and just seemed like just a really rough, I mean, beautiful, but rough race. And so uh, I ended up going to Hawaii. I got to see so many of my friends. Like, I think my biggest concentrated group of friends is still in Hawaii uh, and ended up having just one of the most incredible experiences. Um, I think I had like 12 plus people, crew, pace, like come out, got to see the island. Um, and yeah, I got to set um, a new overall FKT and kind of, again, do this 
very interesting thing where I proved to myself that I was not as slow on road as I had always told myself. So that was, again, <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of a cool thing. Like, it's bizarre, but I actually have hit B-level standards, at least for, like, uh, the desert solstice and such from that race. Not that I will ever apply, but that was kind of a cool, like, oh, wow, huh, I should really stop uh undermining myself yeah and again like just a thing where you didn't go out to to prove that to yourself or that wasn't the initial goal but if you're just open to possibilities and creative possibilities then things just sort of have a way of working out they do yeah and I think I mean I did this gosh I'm kind of I was kind of in between sponsors I didn't have anyone that was um you know, saying I needed to do anything. And so it was entirely for myself, my friends, and just to do something I've, I've wanted to do for eight years. And I think that was such a unique opportunity to get to do that. Um, and a good reminder that you should always be doing that. <laughs> so yeah, yes. I think that's, that's why it was so fun. And I actually had a message from somebody reach out. I don't know if they want it public but you'll know who they are, who was like, wow, did you see what Alyssa did? Now I want to do it. And I was like, so do I. Like, what a cool route. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, yes. So a couple of interesting things. Um, also, the coolest thing. So the female FKT uh, holder is a really good friend of mine, Anna. You should have her on the show. She's super okay. cool. Um, she's won Hurt. She's come first, second, and third at Hurt. She's just a total badass coach etc and she crewed me for 12 hours straight through the night through like massive rainstorms to help me set the record which is just amazing um that like her selflessness and her willingness to help um me i just like am still blown away and um i'm so thankful and like teresa who you've had on the podcast she crewed me a bunch mel who you should have on the podcast crewed me a bunch like there's just so many people who came to support and it just reminds you what's good about the community um which i think right now it's like i don't know it, it's definitely tough right now because we see things getting professionalized in a way that takes us away from that uh, but mm. also this was such a solid reminder of like wow people rock um, so you know yeah. what? Like I, I have a similar experience where, uh, before I was really even in the community, I just wanted to do this thing for charity. And I ran a road hundred mile, uh, pretty close to off the couch. Like it was just when you see <laughs> you dumb would. people do dumb things <laughs> and the people that came out and we didn't think like, oh, you guys should take shifts. We were just like, well, if I'm going to be out there for a day, these people will be too. And we, it wasn't planned very well, but it, both of my brothers came and like four of my best friends and my, at the time, fiance, husband, I don't know what he was, but that day felt so much more special to me having those people sacrifice their time and energy and sleep to help this mission because it was right around the time I got married was better than a bachelorette party and better than a wedding. And I was like, this is what is going to get me addicted to the sport is like the selflessness of people that crew and support these crazy things that we do. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's so, it's just so special. Like I can't even, I just don't feel like I can ever say thank you enough. Um, yeah. and I keep trying and I don't feel like it's enough, but I also know I would do the same. Like I would be so stoked, uh, to help someone else do that. I'm like, yeah, I'll fly out again. Um, <laughs> give me an excuse to go to Hawaii again, but yeah. from a logistics. I think we have to recognize that it's super fun to crew and pay somebody else and get like invested in their outcomes. So they had a good time too. Hopefully. Yeah. There was definitely uh -huh. some interesting moments um i guess just kind of two logistics things and then we can get into the questions just because it's quite funny is that pavement is incredibly hard on your stomach like my stomach mm -hmm. was a mess um yeah. because it's so like i've never run that much like i ran i think other than like a stop break i ran 100 miles i've never been able to say that 
of like yeah. running. I think I ran 115 or so, which is like so much pounding on your stomach. <laughs> it really hurt. Um, so that was wild. And then the other thing is that I have run over 100 miles quite a few times, but not continuous. So normally, like in a 200 miler or something, you're you're going to take a nap, sit down for a while, somewhere around 100 or so. And that last, and, and Anna kept saying to me, like, Alyssa, something weird happens in the last 35, 36 miles. And I was like, yeah, but like I've done, I like I've gone past that a few times. So I feel like I should understand it. Nope. It gets weird. It gets real weird after a hundred miles, which it shouldn't because you think like it doesn't matter, but there is something about the continuous nature of it. Um, I, I wish I hadn't slowed down quite as much in the last 35, 36. We got hit by some really nasty storms. Um, so that didn't super help and my stomach was a mess, but yeah, that last 35 was definitely challenging in a way I wasn't expecting. Yeah, for sure. I actually think we texted about that after too, cause I've done road stuff that was long and that, yeah, you kind of unthaw after, and there's like a different level of pain as opposed to the trail, which is probably why these events are on trail. And it's, it can be scary because you're like, oh, have I done like real damage here? This is just like a different beast. Yeah, I was, gosh, I stopped and like couldn't stand on my own really for probably the first like two to three hours right after I stopped was the, what, the most pain I've been in after an ultra since like I finished my first hurt, my first hundred miler, which I don't really get like I finished hurt last year and was like, yeah, of course I'm tired, but I'm like p- perfectly capable of walking around, uh, hobbling around, but like handling myself after this, it was like, oh my gosh, I can't move. Uh, luckily it went away super quickly, but that was wild. I was like, this is worse than any trail run I've done. <laughs> okay. So that's actually a really great segue because we were kind of laughing when we were looking at the questions. We have one that's like got to be answered by me and then one that's definitely got to be answered by you. And you kind of mentioned Hurt there as your first 100 miler. And one of the questions from McKenna was, does Alyssa have any tips for running your first 100 miler at a young age? I know she was only 22 when she did Hurt for the first time. And I'm curious what her advice is for keeping the body healthy for such long distances so young, which I absolutely love that question. Oh, I was so excited when I saw this question. So, and I've been thinking about it because I think the best thing that you can do is to find mentors in the sport. So I got really, really lucky when I was in Hawaii. It's such a tight knit community that I had um, in particular two moms, um, like they were my trail moms, uh, Kathleen and Mel, and they just honestly made sure that I didn't do anything too dumb. And they taught me so much about the sport. They would be like, Alyssa, you need to eat more. You need to do this. You need to do that. And they were 100% correct. And it took kind of that outside perspective of really seasoned and knowledgeable runners to make sure that I didn't go in a direction of hurting myself. So I'd say the first thing is find some really good mentors. Um, And I'm more than happy if Makina wants to reach out to me directly. Happy to be that um, for her. Uh, but that was huge. The other thing, I ran just a lot of trail. And I think running trail allows you to stay healthier, um, not as much roads. I also ran with people. Um, it's so interesting. I ran with people like all the time when I um, was in Hawaii and when I was training for Hurt. Uh, which I don't as much anymore, which makes me a bit sad. But I think running with people kept my pace a lot more realistic and also just, again, allowed me to learn a lot from others. Um, You know, I I think I discovered a lot about myself. Like, I've always been able to handle a really high mileage amount. Um, And so I had this weird thing where I was like, just say yes to every weird thing someone asks you to do, which looking back, I'm not sure if that was the best strategy for everyone. It was a good strategy for me because I learned 
so much from others. Um, I would be cautious if you are discovering a lot about yourself to do that, uh, just because not everyone is a high mileage runner and that that can lead to injury. Um, but I would say really lean into the community, learn from them, um, stay on the trails, learn as much as you can about good shoes, about mobility, um, about nutrition as you can. And hopefully that will help you have a long career um, and just really learn like why we do this. Yeah, I think that's a great answer. The only thing I would add is if you have the means to have a coach and have some guidance and someone who can tell you when to rest, that is probably helpful too, because I think that's something that comes with older age is being okay with saying, oh, this is a niggle and it's not bad, but it will be bad if I don't take a little bit of time today. Totally. Yeah. And I think that's something that <laughs> when you're young, you can get away with a lot. Um but getting away with a lot is not necessarily the best strategy for sure. Uh, okay. So we're going to hop around on these questions a little bit. So yeah, can I, ask I actually, you? Hey, sorry, go ahead. Can I, ask, can I ask you the next one? Yeah, go for it. Is that where we're going? Okay. Um, okay. So Marga sent in, how do you get back to running after pregnancy safely in between work and baby duties? So this one is like, yeah, obviously, I feel like probably one for me to answer. <laughs> and yeah, there's this question I see actually on the internet a lot in various running groups, and everybody has their two cents. And it it's hard to read some of them because there's a lot of varying opinions and everything out there, but we're just learning more and more every day. And I'm going to do a total disclaimer. What I It's really hard. Because what I know is safe and what I know is the right thing to do is not necessarily what I'll be able to do because it kind of goes in with like resting when you have niggles when you're young. Like it's so important to heal from that whole experience. And at the same time, when you have a newborn and your stress release is exercise, it's really challenging to say, I think I'm okay, but I shouldn't do that thing that makes me feel better. So that's my kind of disclaimer on it. But the number one thing that I'm pretty sure everybody will agree with if you're pregnant right now, Mark, congrats, is get a pelvic floor therapist now. Start, I actually have my first appointment tomorrow with a new one and I'm about six months and a bit and I'll work with her up until birth, and then after. So she will have a really good measure of where I was and what things look like after and where I need to be to start running again. And actually the episode that comes out next week is with another friend that had a baby four years ago and was one of the first people that said, like, there's not a time that you're looking at like it's not like five weeks, six weeks, 12 weeks, it's until you can do certain things again. And so that's how you work with a pelvic floor therapist again, is they can say, okay, can you um, hop and like everything feels okay. And they'll test your strength in different ways. So uh, yeah, the number one thing is just working with a pelvic floor therapist. The second thing is between work and baby duties, you have to prioritize sleep because babies don't do that for you. And it's hard to say because you might get one that sleeps great and you and you might not. And you have a whole bunch of hormones in your body. You have relaxin that lasts quite a while. You have a lot going on. And if you're not also sleeping, you just sort of have to see how it goes and be okay with the fact that it might be a later start than you wanted and that's just how it is. But the risk is like, you could feel okay and go out and run and then end up with problems or prolapse issues like months later. And that's kind of what I didn't know when I first had Baker and I went out too hard. And then I sort of ha got scared and had to, you know, backtrack and make sure I'd done all the right things. So I think it's totally possible. It's just being cautious and it's so personalized that 
yeah, number one, you just have to work with somebody that knows your body. And number two, you just have to prioritize uh, sleep. And hopefully by the, hopefully you get some mat leave. And by the time you're back to work, you've kind of got a bit of a routine. Um, and if it is, you know, you do some stroller jogs with your baby and their mixes of walk jogs and all that stuff, like it's all a great base and a great way to start. But yeah, it very much after you get through like the initial healing really depends on your life setup and what enables you to also recover. So it's complicated, but it's doable and you learn the value of time and it will be easier than I'm making it sound, I promise. So don't get scared. It You get into a flow and you adjust quite quickly and I think you'll be fine. That was fantastic. I always love hearing your advice um, because I know I will be leaning on you hard sometime in the future. Also, what a terrible design flaw that they made it so babies don't sleep. Like, don't you have enough going on? <laughs> I know. And my baby right now is like pretty still for most of the day. And then at about 6.30 p.m. starts kicking me like crazy and literally does somersaults and kicks all night and keeps me awake and then goes back to stillness at about seven. And I'm like, oh, this is not good. Like, you got to figure your shit out, kid. <laughs> Dude, switch, switch. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do, but sort it out somehow. So, and a same thing, if you want to reach out to me on Instagram and chat further about this, like, please, please do. Uh, but I actually, okay, so I really like question number one as well. So we have a, a pretty good variety here. So this one is from Brie, who's doing her first backyard ultra. So how should I alter the typical ultra running plan? Is it, is your 50K plan sufficient bones and you just add time? Help. So are all backyard ultra formats a specific time on a loop? Do you know this? I yeah. So I think that is kind of the definition of the backyard. The traditional is like the four point one six 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 yeah. six seven. Uh, but I know across the years does like a mile every fifteen minutes. Um, and then there's some variation within it, but I do think it's all like a set amount of time that you complete a set amount of distance. Okay. So that I'll let you answer this, but the first thing that I'm comes to mind before I forget is that I think you have to train a little bit specifically for that format because you are going to be doing more intervals for a really long time than you are just consistent running and the stopping that often for me anyways, would be a different challenge and something I would want to get used to as well as the additional volume. That would also be my first recommendation is that to train within the format because stopping and starting and stopping and starting is way different than a continuous effort. Um, so I would actually do more of like a long run day is actually five, six hours of like doing that four miles and then chilling at your house and just seeing like, hey, is it better if I sit down? Is it better if I stand up? Like, how do I manage myself, manage kind of the fatigue? Um, I think a big part of this too is are you planning to go until you can't go anymore or do you have a distance you're shooting for? Um, because I think that makes a difference of your training like a 50K. If you're shooting for a 50K in um, the backyard, that's probably a pretty solid basis other than changing your long runs. Um, if you're like, hey, I'm going to go as long as I can, I would probably increase that a bit um, past the 50K. So I think it also depends on what you're hoping the outcome of this is going to be. Another thing is that I would research what is the surface that this is going to be on. So if this is going to be on pavement, really big difference um, from a trail loop. From I was looking at doing one before COVID shut it down and there was some sand involved in it. So just really understanding your terrain. Um, are there hills? You know, that's all going to factor into kind of what your training plan looks like. Yeah. For me, if I sat down between each loop, I think I would end up with more stiffness. You might also want to look at like pacing, maybe 
It is easier for you to like walk the last four minutes of the loop so that you're still moving and you still get a time to get in food, but that you're not like run stopping or something like that. So totally play around with it on your long runs and see how that goes. As far as the adding time, yeah, that goes back again to Alyssa's other question of what is your what is your goal here? So if you are like, yeah, I want to run 50 miles, then yeah, you're going to want more of a 50 mile plan than a 50K plan and, and start building up so that your long runs kind of reflect that um, and that you can just do more time on feet. So there's a couple different kind of avenues you can take, but once like work backwards, like we always said, figure out what your goal is. If it's to run as long as you can, same thing. Let's let's aim for more than 50K then, provided that's where you are. If this is just the way that you're doing your first 50K, which maybe it is, then you can probably use that plan, but do some of it, take a little bit more time and do some of it in that format with the rest break. Does that, does that make sense? I think we've covered everything. Yeah, I would just say the one thing that popped into my head as well is practicing fast walking uh, because four miles, I mean, that's a fast walk. So it might be worth playing with like, hey, I'm going to run a mile and then really fast walk a mile just to see how you manage that. Um, Because that could be a fun way to A, play with pace and also just be like, huh, maybe I can, when I start getting tired, like I can just walk quickly and get it done. Yeah, that's a really good point. And that's funny that you say that because I went for a jog the other day with a friend who's also pregnant and she was like, okay, I can't really run, but I can walk. And I was like, oh, okay, sweet. That'll be easy. Uh, I am the slowest walker of all time. It was like every once in a while I had to jog a few steps to keep up with her. And I was like, oh, wow, like this is a skill and I uh, do not have it. When you are ready to do tour, we're going to work on that. For yes, sure. I know. For sure. Was, I know. It's honestly, I spent a year basically learning how to walk fast and I was feeling so good. I was like, oh, I'm crushing this. I'm getting so fast and walking uh, like quite a bit into my training. And then some older lady flew past me and I was like, well, I feel dumb. <laughs> she just oh, like, like I was standing still. Older lady just went power walking past me. I was like, well, that was a good ego check. Yep. Experience in being smart, man. That's where it is. Okay. What question do you want to hit next? What appeals to you? Okay. I think we'll do this one and then I think we can finish with the kind of fun, um, what's in your vest. Uh, so Lisa sent in, I'm training for my first 50 miler this spring. Any mental tips, strategies for completing this distance versus the 50 kilometer? Great question. Great question. And I like that we have done full episodes on mental training before, but never that specific mindset piece of the 50K to the 50 miler, because it is a big jump. Yeah. Do you want to go first or? No, you go for it. I went first on the last one. Okay. Um, so I would say the the biggest thing is that there there is a difference. Like I do think when you hit 35, 40 miles, there can often be a low, um, just because it is quite a long ways. It's probably the furthest you've ever run, but I also think that's a really great opportunity to celebrate the fact that it's probably the furthest you've ever run. And so I think a mental tip I like to take is to approach it with this kind of joyful curiosity of, oh my gosh, like, cool, celebrate. This is the furthest I've gone. Like, what's next? What if I don't necessarily keep feeling worse? What if I can feel better? And I think so often we kind of get stuck in this mental trap that the further we go, the worse that we're going to feel. And sometimes that does happen for sure. But I find very often the farther I go, actually the better I feel. And so I think always leaving the door open to the fact that you can feel better uh, further on in the race is a really exciting thing and also can keep you positive through the lows. Also, if you're feeling super low, you could just need some more calories. Um, That's one of the things I say over and over and over is if you're having a really bad low, 
eat some food, take some time um, to let the calories absorb because often we're feeling those lows because we're really just running out of energy. Um, so those are a few things I would say on this. Yeah, I like that. I think that's a great way to just make sure you're starting out positively instead of posi- positively instead of kind of based in a fear mindset. And because you ran 100 miles earlier, this particular moment might not stick out to you as much as it does to me, but I can relate to going into my 50 miler and at the start line thinking my first one, I have memories of being around 35K in 50Ks and being like, oh, good Lord, this is never going to end. This is my life now. I live in this forest. So if I'm adding like that again onto the 50K, like what in the world is about to happen? And I had to just acknowledge that thought and then kind of let it go away and think this is a completely new adventure and I'm just going to go like 10K by 10K and see what happens. And I think I was surprised at how easy it is for your mind to adjust once you're in it. And the same thing happens now, even if I'm racing a 5K, I am like, oh my God, how would I ever race a 10K? Because I can't hold that pain for that much longer. But when you're racing a 10K, that's what you're prepared for and you just do it. And I think you got to give yourself some credit and your ability to adjust. And when you get out there, like any distance, if you just break it down aid station to aid station, you're going to find that you're just kind of in this space, this adventure space, and that you don't have to think of how big the difference really is. Does that make any sense? No, it makes total sense. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I have thought about distances, thought about paces and gone, there's no way. Or in your training where you're like, there's no way I can keep this up. And then you get in a race and it's like, wait, how is this happening? (laughs) Or you go even faster. So it totally makes sense. Yeah, exactly. So I think, and that is so common. That's actually a really good point. And I've coached athletes through that moment so many times where they get to kind of their biggest build or right before taper. And they're like, I really struggled at a third of the distance today. Like, I just can't imagine this being possible. And you just have to say, you have to trust taper and you have to trust the vibes of a race day because it's going to be different. And it is a hundred percent of the time. Oh, it's so much different. I mean, I've had my coach say it to me. He's like, I don't understand how you just show up on race day and sometimes do these things. I was like, I don't either. But uh, like it's there is something magical about race day, about the taper. And it just, yeah, you just do things that are, they are completely reasonable because of the time you put in for your training, but they feel magical because of the race situation. Yeah. And I mean, every other tip is the same that we've always said, like there's things to do. You are probably going to have a low because that's just how it goes. And that's totally fine. You can just eat something or use tools, mantras, sing a song. My favorite one that I say all the time is I like to imagine myself at work later in the week and I'll be like, oh, my future self is going to be so jealous of this moment of freedom that I'm in right now. So I don't care how bad it hurts. Like this is the fun part of my week and I'm grateful to be here and one foot in front of the other and you will feel good again and you have to trust you will feel good again. Oh, for sure. Actually, something Anna, my friend said to me um, during the, the perimeter FKT when I was really feeling it mile like 115, 120 or so is that she said, it's um it's a lot of work to earn the pain cave and this is your moment to spend time in there and better yourself and further you know like further what it means to be in the pain cave i'm not saying it completely correct but it's like you've earned it you should be super proud that you've put yourself in a place where you can discover a lot about who you are a lot about who you are as a runner and 
celebrate that, even though it's hard, like it is really hard, but don't throw it away, lean into it. Yeah, exactly. Lean into it. So I, that's the summary of the answer for this. I love that. And I'm excited to hear how this goes for you and good luck. You're going to have a whole lot of fun. So definitely anybody, including the Backyard Ultra, all the stuff, the birth, <laughs> definitely follow up with us and write us notes on how these things go. Yes, please. Okay. So yes, the fun one. I thought she had another question that maybe didn't. Oh, you know what? I, okay. I remember these. I'm going to look them up right now. So Jordan had two questions. We'll do, I'm going to do her other question first. Ready? You're not going to be prepared for it, but I think you can handle it. Do it. So this isn't verbatim because I'm doing it off of memory, but I remember being like, oh yeah, I get it. Any tips for shorts that don't chafe in the winter? And I think by winter, she means it's rainier because she's from the Pacific Northwest. So things, shorts that don't bother you when it's very dry are one thing. Shorts that get wet, chafing death. Does this problem happen to you? What do you do? Oh, so I am... I'm not the best person to ask about chafing. I don't chafe much, which is like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> 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 like I have people get so mad at me. Um, yeah, I've, I've been super lucky that I really have not gotten the short chafe issue. Uh, but I think my, <clears throat> so kind of thinking through this, like, I've worn a bunch of different shorts. I tend to like the shorts that have, a liner also because they put pockets in the liner a lot and then they have kind of like the flowy short on the outside um so i could see and i've run in like really wet conditions with that and i find that the liner kind of helps um me not feel like i just have wet fabric just draped all over me so that would be a thought um yeah what do you think I think, what did I say? Oh yeah. So I do have this problem and I'm pregnant. So this problem has escalated for me because I just put weight on in my thighs when I'm pregnant and that's how it's going to be. So I have had this problem where I've like run in shorts that are amazing for me. And then I had like a summer rain and suddenly I was soaked and it was like a different, totally different game. And I don't know if it was just like the wet material and the way it rubbed or what, but anyways, I hear ya. So I just have to wear spandex shorts now and that's kind of it. So the, I think I recommended to her the Lululemon Align, especially the ones with pockets, like you can't go wrong. They're so thin. For a long time, it was really hard to find something that was comfortable enough. And I actually remember this last time I was pregnant and having to like order these weird like men's underwear type thing because there was nothing. And now these this idea of longer short spandex is like all the rage so thanks gen z for making it cool because it's awesome to run in <laughs> so i get the six inch but they also have like an eight and a ten i think but the material is like and i'm not sponsored by lulu and they're insanely expensive but if you're going to be running 50k like just get something that's not going to bug you and like that to me is so worth the in the investment um yeah, buttery soft, you can get pockets or not. And they don't, I, I hate wearing tight spandexy things because I feel like I have to pull them up all the time, but these ones don't. They just sort of like sit on your body. So if you need that link, message me, but that's, that's my thing. Obviously lube is always gonna help, but I think having better gear is better than lube. Yeah, I mean, I, um, I love Squirrels Not Butter. I actually get, this is, yeah, we're going to go for it. I get butthole chafing. That's actually the chafing I get. <laughs> <laughs> we're here. We're doing it. Yes, because I have stomach issues. And so when they start acting up, butthole chafing. No one is, I literally have squirrels nut butter marked. That's like, no one else can use this. <laughs> this is restricted to me. That is so funny. That might have to be the intro clip. I'm not going to lie to you. Go for it. Um, luckily, Squirrels Nut Butter is great. Um, I'm I'm on their team, uh, and I've explained to them, and they love it. But yeah, it's uh, lube is great, but I and I think a lot of people use it preemptively, which I think is a great idea. But also, it is totally worth investing in your clothing. You've invested so much time and energy 
it's kind of the same thing with nutrition where it's like it's sometimes a really tough pill to swallow of how expensive this sport has gotten but also you put so much time and effort and I know chafing has taken people out of many races so don't like don't let that be the like reason why your training doesn't help you to accomplish what you want. Yes. And so that's kind of what I was hinting at as well. Like it's worth the investment because if you're fit and you're prepared and you're ready, yeah, do not let chafing be the thing that takes you out. Oh, sorry. So that was in the second part. I just missed it. So she had a lot of questions built into these two questions. So let's touch on this really quick before we get into the top three things in your vest. Because I think there's different opinions on this too. I'd like to hear what you say. How to prevent blisters and then to deal with them once they happen. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, she did have a lot in there. Mm-hmm. So with blisters, um, I've gotten, I actually didn't have a single blister after the perimeter run, which was wild. Uh, biggest things, I use toe socks. Um, I run for Njinji. I love them. They've... I've used toe socks for, gosh, like the last five, six years. Um, They've been fantastic. So that's a big thing. Uh, Good shoes, honestly, like shoes that really work for you um, are super important. I always have a blister kit with me in case I do start to feel blisters. So what's in that is... um, Actually, I have a blog post coming out about this, which is great. So we can definitely share that with you. But I have a, um, a scalpel because that is great to like cut a blister and then lay it flat to protect it. And you just cut the edge, um, not just like stab it in the middle. Done that before. It doesn't work well. So you just use the scalpel to like cut the edge, lay it flat. I'm a huge fan of KT tape or that kind of tape to put on the blister, to put on hot spots. It's very thin. It sticks well. It doesn't add a bunch of surface um, or like height that can cause um, additional rubbing or issues. I have alcohol swabs with me um, to clean my feet up um, and wet wipes. And gosh, I'm trying to think. Honestly, KT tape, a scalpel, and some small scissors to cut pieces in place is really like The thing I, on longer races, will keep that in my vest because with blisters, the sooner you can take care of them, the more apt you are to be able to continue. Um, At Dragon's Back, we were constantly in just marshy, wet terrain. And one of the, and so I was like constantly on the brink of trench foot, as was everyone else by the time we finished. Always had a dry pair of socks in my drop bag. And when I finished, I was immediately taking my shoes off and airing them out. I saw another girl, actually the winner, she um, was using baby powder, which is the most underrated thing in foot care. I should have done that and I didn't. And I kicked myself that I didn't bring any, but that can really help dry your feet out. And so if you are in a really wet area, your feet are just wet all the time, throwing some baby powder in there can help dry them out. And make sure that your shoes aren't giving you hot spots. But yeah, the main thing I'll highlight that you said is as soon as you feel one coming on, deal with it. Because once it's too far, then there's no going back. Yeah, I've said this for four years now, but diaper cream is the way to go. So if you have a spot and you want something that really doesn't rub off in a little bit of moisture or a little bit of running, then um, squirrel's nut butter is great. But for me, it is 100% diaper cream. That's my, that's my number one tip on that. Okay. Should we get to the rest? Yeah. Top three things that you have in your vest for an ultra. I'm interested to hear what you say. Go. Oh man. Well, this is also a depends, (laughs) but, um, for a classic ultra, I will have, uh, a thing of squirrels, not butter. Um, one that no one else is going to touch. That's going to be my butthole <laughs> scrolls up butter. <laughs> that goes in my vest. Um, and then I have, um, because of my stomach issues, I bring uh, some backup Imodium as well as uh, Zofran. 
um, which is an anti-nausea, totally legal. It's been a game changer for me. So those are things that are going in my vest. And then, gosh, so there's like a bunch of things because now a bunch of races have like mandatory gear. So there's things that I have to bring. Um, so I'm trying okay, to well, think of top well i guess not self-supported okay. but yeah, yeah, yeah if there wasn't a mandatory gear other than your squirrels nut butter what's like the two things where you're like oh i will have this yeah i mean the squirrels nut butter the stomach medications and then um in terms of safety like in in reach uh or some safety beacon device probably don't need that as much in an actual race um and oftentimes i will have like a light windbreaker or jacket of some kind because you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. That's a, that's a smart one, especially yeah, you just never know because I've run in the middle of summer on a mountain locally and then it snowed and I actually had to get a garbage bag from an aid station and poke a hole through it because I didn't have a jacket and I was going to freeze to death. And a, a lot of the pros dropped out because it was so cold and it was like such a shock to your body. So yeah, that can happen. So I'm going to go ahead and, and second the light windbreaker can uh, also, always do you have a picture of you in this trash bag and can that be the cover photo of this episode? I wish, I wish, but I wore it for a while and then it got hot and I took it off and I've regretted it. And it was like 15 years ago now, like it was a long time ago, but it was super important time in my life. Um, but it saved me. I was like, oh, yeah. I otherwise I'm not going to make it. Um, okay. Actually, the aid station people were wearing garbage bags. That's what clued into me was like, oh, that's what I can do. That's smart. Okay, yeah. your top two, top three. Ah, <sighs> okay. So, I if it's an, I'm reading this as like a 50k race where I like to do as little as possible. So I will have, but I'm always the most thirsty person of all time. I drink more water than anybody ever. So I guess my advice is that this kind of has to be a little bit personalized to you, but I will have my two, um, my two 500 mil vest pockety things, but I will have an extra one on my back. And that's why I don't carry a bunch of other stuff because I have this extra water. Um, because at, at some point, undoubtedly, I will, I will need it. And I will, I've done runs with like everybody and I end up getting to a time where I like am desperate for more liquids than other people. So I have my extra water thing that I carry in the back. And at some point I chug it and then I don't ever refill it. It's just like this little boost help that I need. If there's a way to like get a crew or a drop bags to have that for me instead, then I will. But this is if it's one where like you've got to carry your stuff. And then I always have calculated out the amount of calories that I will need so that I don't have to stop at aid stations or wait in line. And I know exactly what I'm going to eat. So I have my food ready. Maybe if there's a drop bag or a crew again, I'll do like half and half, but I try to make the stops at the aid stations, not something that I need while still keeping my pack as light as possible, which sounds counterintuitive, but I, there's a balance there. But then the number one thing is where my keys usually go, which I don't bring with me on a race. I have an extra secret gel. And two times I have been wrong about part of the course or they've changed it last minute or you end up needing that emergency gel. So I always have one that like isn't in my game plan at all, but it's for emergencies and it can save your race. And then the third thing, yeah, I, I mean, I'll just have to say the coat. It's probably just the coat. So I'm going real basics here with like food, water, and exposure. <laughs> I think you're totally on. Also, I love that you call it super secret. My super secret gel, <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, I'm not allowed like, to use it. Yes. So exactly. I'm not allowed to know it's there unless I need it. <laughs> yeah. I also, too, completely understand what you mean about reducing the time by bringing your food. There is a complete hundred fine line to it, but during hurt, I brought every bit of food that I needed for each 20 mile loop and just fill my water bottles. And then I would switch vests at, um, at like the kind of the main aid station. And I think that saved me so much time because yeah. yeah I, so I really, I'm like a huge proponent of it. Um, 
And I think the most time I spent in aid station during hurt was maybe two minutes, three minutes. So you can get really fast um, if you're not kind of like, you know, trying to figure out what you want to eat or anything. But that that takes a lot of practice and skill. Uh, Not skill, but like practice of just, yeah. And you have to have a crew that knows exactly what you want. And you have everything organized beforehand. And that's like, if you're going to try to win the race or get a record and you have to take time from every corner that you can, then like flipping to a preloaded vest is definitely like, I'll do the same thing even in drop bags in a smaller race where I have my extra water bottles filled in my drop bag. So I just dump my empty ones in there and grab my filled ones because standing in an aid station waiting for somebody to like fiddle with your lid is not helpful either. Totally. Yeah. Um, it's amazing how much time you can save by pre-prepping yourself. Um, you know, you, of course you don't want to rush. Like when I first started doing ultras, I tried to do the vest flip and it, it really didn't work because I wasn't experienced enough. Like I wasn't finishing my food and then I wasn't finished my water and no one had any idea how many calories I was taking in. Um, so you have to be extremely dialed with your nutrition and your um, hydration plan and like be following it to do that kind of like very fast um, transition. But you can do versions of this and save time in aid stations kind of like wherever you are on that progression. Yeah, exactly. That's such a good point. I think to close out with is all of this too comes down to learning like we both have a lot of experience, so we know exactly what we need, but you don't want to undershoot it. So overshoot it your first time. And if we're doing that, it's not your top three things in your vest. It's maybe your top 10 things in your vest. And then you will eventually learn how to peel back to, to what you need and you'll learn your own body. But if you need lube and it's not on the list because it's not on my list and then you need it, we've got a problem. So personalized everything's personalized yeah and that's part of the fun is figuring out what totally. you need it's yeah. yeah yeah we're like no but okay. i can do this better <laughs> exactly right. i can do this better we did it. i'm proud of us that was good i was like there's a lot of questions and then i was like oh we're going through them fast but as per usual we go on some tangent and we have one minute before i have to be off um so plug your stuff where can people find you and all that good stuff Oh, yeah. Gosh, I forgot about this part. Um, So you can, I'm probably most active on Instagram, theory underscore in underscore motion. Uh, You can message me um, about coaching uh, or anything, mentoring, etc. And then, yeah, also at Uphill Athlete. uh, I produce and host the Uphill Athlete podcast. And yeah, that's about it. Hillary, you plug your stuff just in case. Okay. Um, this is my podcast and this is where you can find me. <laughs> and Trail Running Women Pod is our new Instagram. I'm trying to get everybody over there because once you have kids, your personal becomes this like baby spam. So we're trying to separate the running community. Uh, so find us there and yeah, keep asking questions and keep sending in guest suggestions. And next time we chat, we'll hear about your 2024 goals. So thank you so much for your time today and excited to continue watching along. Same with you.